Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 40 is a classic passage. I have a series, kind of an informal series called the Classical Passages of the Bible. Eventually, when I get it all done, I'll put it together. But I've preached, I was, I was a little surprised, in the book of Matthew alone, uh, through the years I've preached 150 different sermons. There's only 28 chapters. I've preached 150 different sermons. But I've never preached a whole message on this text. Though so I've referred to this text, I memorized this text years ago, and I've referred to it because it's one of the, I said, one of the classic passages. What's a classic passage is, if you had 100 people read chapter 22 of Matthew, these verses would stick out. These would be the verses they would highlight, underline, color of that. We're pretty much all the same on that. We go through a Bible, and there are certain passages. If you read John chapter 3, you're going to highlight John 3.16. And probably all the way to verse 22. And you're going to highlight John 3.36. Almost everybody will as they read that chapter. Those are what they call classical passages that, that born-again Christians stop on and go, wow, wow. And I'm not going to read that to you yet. I just want to talk a little bit about it. What is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? People, people ask me all kinds of questions through the years, an honest question, honest questions. And it's an honest question out of all the commandments. There are 613 individual commandments of the Old Testament. Those were given specifically to the children of Israel. Of those 10, they're summarized, of those 613, they're summarized by 10, most affectionately called the Ten Commandments. We have them displayed in McKinney Hall. We have them displayed in our Spanish church. We have them displayed here and there. Uh, The question is, do you have the Ten Commandments displayed in your home? If you don't have your Ten Commandments displayed somewhere on your home or your property, don't complain when the world wants to get rid of them. Oh, that's good. That's real good. You say, Brother Bill, do you have the Ten Commandments? I sure do. As you drive in my place, I have them etched on stone. Six inches of stone, solid stone. I don't think Moses had them that thick a stone. I just don't think he would carry that. Because I think the thing weighs, Brother Morris got it for him. It weighs four or 500 pounds, three, 400 pounds. And uh, he got those etched for me, the Ten Commandments. When you drive in my place, you see the Ten Commandments. There's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. Nothing at all wrong with the Ten Commandments. There's nothing wrong with everybody learning them. If we would live in a much better place if every one of our children were forced. Well, that's a word that doesn't go over well, does it? Forced to memorize the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about red or yellow, black or white. I'm talking about any religion or creed. If you want to come to the United States, you're going to memorize the Ten Commandments. Why? Because you're our neighbors. We've got to live among you. And so... The Ten Commandments were summarized by what I'm going to read in a moment. Pretty wild. Summarized by two commandments. Jesus is the one that really, really uh, solidified it down to the two. They were both mentioned, and I'll tell you where in a moment. But these people, in our context of this passage, uh, the, the, uh, this question was asked by a lawyer. Part of Morgan and Morgan's firm. 
uh, it was, I was questioned by a lawyer. I don't know about you. I know there are good lawyers. I know lawyers are necessary, but while they're irritating, um, sometimes they'll strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. But uh, it's their nature. It's no, no problem. I mean, it's part of being like an engineer and a lawyer, very similar, by the way. But uh, they were trying to get Jesus to slip up. They were trying to get him to make a wrong statement so they could condemn him. Now look, what had Jesus done wrong? He says, Is any of you can, can any of you condemn me a sin or wrongdoing? No, nobody could. What had he done? He'd healed the sick. He had given sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. Uh, he had raised three people from the dead. He had... The Bible says he would go into villages and everybody that was sick and everybody that was infirmed and everybody that had problems with demons was healed. Tell me that's wrong. What's bad about that? Wouldn't you like that today? I mean, okay, put the hospitals out of business. Oh, now you're understanding why he got some heat, didn't you? But uh, he, he did, they were just trying, they were just, with all of their intellect, they were trying to figure out how to get this guy to say something wrong. And so they could condemn all of those good works. They could condemn all of those good. Think of all he did all the three and a half years. They wanted to condemn all of those good works based on one misstatement. That's going on today. We got the same mentality. Those people that were alive back then and trying to get Jesus to slip up are alive and well today. And they're doing the same exact thing. Undoing, a, trying to undo a person's whole life work because of one problem or sin or trouble that they had. It don't work that way. Any imperfection they tried to find. Why? 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 Well, I believe Jesus was opposed to their liberal agenda. Yeah, liberalizing the law of Moses. Interpreting the guts out of it. Neutralizing God's word. That's what they had done. Stuff, with stuff like there's no certain right or wrong. It's just what you believe. That, that right or wrong is culturally developed. And consequently, then, every culture has its own set of right and wrong, and they're all right. Confusion, and it's alive and well today, isn't it? Jesus had just refuted and embarrassed a big old group of them people called the Sadducees. Now, Sadducees were your anti-supernatural folks. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in, in uh, uh, miracles. And that's why they were sad, you see. Now, these, now okay, the Sadducees got, they, they got stumped and they left. And so the Pharisees coming down, the Pharisees were considered your, woo, super intellectuals of the day in the law of Moses, man. Some of them have memorized much of the Old Testament. And they were smart, but they did not have faith. 
And so they attack Jesus, and so the Pharisees and lawyers step up to the plate, take a shot at him. After all, Jesus had no formal education. We surely can outsmart this old boy. I mean, he's from, he's from the most hated city in all of our country called Nazareth. In fact, we got a little statement about Nazareth. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. You know? There's cities like that in America. I won't mention any of them. Can anything good come out of that city? And then they had that for Nazareth. And uh, he was poor as a church mouse. And that's pretty poor. <laughs> he had, it was no, and by the way, they thought he's no match for our superior intellect. Our superior intellect. He's no match for that. And surely they're going to catch him publicly. Okay, he humbled the Sadducees, but they don't believe in anything supernatural anyways. But we believe. The Pharisees believed in the Spirit. They believed in the invisible world. They believed in, in supernatural things and miracles could take place. Uh, and so, you know, you thought they'd have been a friend of Jesus. No, because he was opposing their hypocrisy and their covetousness. Two, two areas that he said that they failed in was they were hypocrites and they were covetous. He states them in the New Testament, two things. And they, because he criticized them, they hated him. Does this sound like the newspaper? So we pick up at our text. Here we go. Matthew 22, 36 and 40. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto them, first one, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. In a parallel passage, he said all thy strength. The first, this is the first and great commandment. So, we have 613 commandments summarized by 10 commandments, uh, four of them vertically to God, uh, six of them horizontally to our duty to man. And then these two commandments summarizing those 10 commandments, which are, which are divided into only two groups, which is our responsibility to God, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. This is the great and first commandment. And by the way, the first four commandments deal with your duty to God, your responsibility to God, your creator. And then the other six are summarized by what we're getting ready to read. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, one of, some of you are sitting there going, Preacher, you don't know my neighbor. Of these two commandments, and I want you to, if you, if you mark your Bible, hang all the law and the prophets. Each one of those pictures hangs on a wire on one hook, each one of them. All the law and the prophets, all the law and the prophets, which what was that about? That was the law and the prophets were given to us to tell us how to live righteously, how to live rightly or purely, how to live the way God would want you to live, which is a good way to live. It's the best way to live. And so he says, all of those instructions hang on that one nail right there. The, 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 this, these two commandments hang on that one nail, which represents those two commandments. Jesus, by the way, is referencing Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, for you out there that would like to know that. 
Jesus clarifies and organizes these two teachings into one. He ranks them as the two greatest commandments. His, I think his last statement in verse 40 is, knock your socks off completely, that hang all the law and the prophets. So let's do a quick exposition, explanation of this passage. Let me, let me just give you a few heads up. Number one, notice that both commandments hang on one word. Love. Love. Love for your hard-of-hearing people. Love. The kind of love, there are three kind of loves in the Greek. There's only one kind of love in English. That's why the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek in the New Testament because it's so, so specific and it's, it's a medical language. It's why the medical people use it. They use Latin and Greek because it's so good at describing things in absolute detail. And agape love is the highest form of love. You have phileo love, which is a friendship type of a love. And then you have eros, which is a physical love between a husband and a wife. So those three kinds of love, he uses agape. You shall love, you shall agape the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind. This kind of love is what motivates a soldier to hit the beach when the, LS, when the LST door goes down and he hears the bullets hitting the door, he hears them like angry bumblebees going over the, top of the, over the top of the LST. And when that door goes down, he goes forward into the fire, knowing likely none of them people are going to live. Or anybody in any circumstances is willing to lay their life down is displaying agape. It's a commitment. Now trust me, when men are laying their lives down for something, they're not happy about it usually. They don't want to die. Nobody in their right mind really wants to die per se, right? I mean, they, they want to live. But they believe that there's something bigger than themselves. Oh. That there's something in this life bigger than you that's worthy of your personal sacrifice. Wow. There's nothing romantic at that moment, nothing emotionally satisfying about agape. It is a deep truth that has penetrated your soul that you're willing to lay your life down for. This kind of love is a Kind of love, boy, you know, I used to say this, and I'm, I'm so saddened this morning to have to hesitate when I say this, but it's, kind, it's the kind of love I, I have in my notes, and I've said this for 45 years. It's the kind of love a mother has for her children. But I can't say that anymore. Because there's a whole lot of mothers that don't love their children. It used to be the bedrock of love was a mother's love for their children. A mother would give her life in a heartbeat for her children. It was the bedrock of the definition, but we can't say that anymore. It's the kind of love that a husband and wife, normally at least, would have for their family. Love is what the law is all about. I bet that surprised some of you. 
lot of times people think of the law and they go, ooh, 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 the law, the law, ooh, it's so dry. It's like eating, it's like eating uh, peanut butter without any milk or without any, it's just dry. It's hard to swallow. Well, Romans chapter 13, verse 10 says this, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Maybe that's one of the most, that's such a beautiful explanation. It's a New Testament explanation of an Old Testament concept. Romans 13, 10. Love is the fulfilling of the law. You mean to tell me, Brother Bill, that if you love God the way you ought to love him and you love your neighbor the way you ought to love him, that you don't need the Ten Commandments? That's what I'm saying, exactly what I'm saying. You don't need 613 commandments. You don't need to be told what to do and what not to do because the love will guide you in every one of those decisions. And I'm going to show you how it will guide you. I'll give you some specifics. If you love God, let's start with number one. If you love God the way you ought to love him, you will obey him. My wife loves me. I'm, ta- I'm not talking about phileo love. I'm not talking about a romance love. Romance. I'm not talking about uh, any kind of emotion. I'm talking about commitment here, people. When we got married in a fever, hotter than a pepper sprout, <laughs> at Greenwood, South Carolina, in front of a justice of the peace, 10 bucks, 10 minutes, one witness, no family, because they didn't know we were getting married. I don't recommend it, but it lasted. It's not where you get married. It's not the, the, the ceremony that you have. It's not the person that marries you. It's do you mean what you say? And do you say what you mean? Do you mean, for, do you mean it when you say for better, for worse, the sickness, the health, the richer, poor, or death to his part? Now, I know some of you, it takes two to be married, by the way. And I know some people wanted to be married, but their other mates said, well, I ain't going to marry. I got divorced. That's the way it is. When I was a young man, you could not get a divorce without permission from a judge. And my brother went to get it. My oldest brother went to get a divorce from his wife. The judge says, no, you can't do it. Those were good days in America. Those were good days in America. And when you see these old people with tear down their eye a little bit, it's because we're remembering some of that. He said, you got to get right and go back and, met, and, and stay married. Well, I love that. Boy, he didn't like being told what to do. But if you really have a deep a commitment to God, you'll obey him. It makes sense. My wife obeys me. Now, she's not to obey me in violation of God because I'm not God to her. But I, if I don't ask her to do something wicked and sinful, she obeys me. Get out there and pull the weeds. That ain't sinful. Do those dishes, sweep the house, dust, and when I get back, I'll give you more. They're not wrong with that. They didn't say one thing was sinful on that whole deal. But boy, that raised the hair of some girls there this morning. Well, I'd have shot you. If you love God, you respect Him. You, you will serve Him. This is just uh, horse sense this morning which is just stable thinking. I'm trying to wake you up. 
You'll follow him. You'll enjoy him. You'll tell others about him. You'll stay away from evil. Separation is not hard if you love God. If you love God, you don't want to go where he doesn't want you to go. You don't want him to eat what he doesn't want you to eat, drink what you don't. I mean, whatever it is. Name some. If, if, if God do not like it, I won't do it because I love him. What's lacking in the Christian faith with a lot of folks is their love. You say, how do you get love? How about asking him? He said, receive not because you ask not, right? He tells them, and James, you ask amiss, you ask for new cars, and you ask for Harley-Davidson's, and you can't blame a guy for that. But you ain't going to get that. That's not what God's shooting at. He's wanting you to love him. So why don't you go to God and say, I want to love you. I know who you are. I don't really love you. I don't, I'm not showing you I love you, but help me to love you. Help me to have agape love for you. I believe God will answer that prayer. Have a little bit of faith. And then, so, if you love, and, and the second greatest commandment is, is if you love God, you're going to love your neighbor. You're going to love your neighbor. But this is really where I was trying to get to this whole time. Now, what does that mean, I'm going to love my neighbor? Well, it means, first of all, I'm not going to hurt my neighbor, right? I'm not going to do anything to hurt my neighbor. I will, I will only try to help my neighbor, and I'll care about my neighbor. And... I had a neighbor. Now, do you ever get bad neighbors? Hey, man, we may have a party right here. I had a neighbor who was so bad. I had a neighbor whose dog, they let out at dark in the morning and come over and doo-doo in my yard. My, I lived a ways away. Dog would come over and doo-doo in my yard. And I don't know about you, but dogs carry pinworms, and my kid used to play out in the grass, and it bothered me because he thought my kids going to end up getting pinworms. Six percent of children get pinworms. Anyways, So I talked to my wife before I did anything rash. I went out there one day, and the dog tried to bite me. My yard, he walked out of my house, he growled at me and came at me. I tried to kick him, missed him. It was in love. And so the dog runs back home, and I tell my wife, I am, I'm a hunter. I mean, I don't apologize. I'm an I'm a endowment member of the NRA. I don't apologize for any of those things. Those are good things. And I'll say this. I told my wife, I looked her in the eye, I'm going to kill the dog. She said, you're a pastor. You're a pastor of a church. Bill, this is going to go wrong. This is going to go all bad. They'll put you in a newspaper. This is before they throw you in jail. They'll put you in a newspaper. They're going to, they're going to, they'll make you, and it is going to be bad for you. I said, I know it. I know it. <laughs> Kathy, I want to kill that dog. And she comes to me and she says, Bill, how about you pray about it? I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> pray about it. Pray about it. She says, well, how about praying about it? I told you I wasn't a very good Christian. And, and I said, okay, I'll pray about it. So you and I pray about it, because I don't have a whole lot of faith here, and, and really I want to kill him. But okay, we'll pray about it. So we prayed about it, and the next day, the dog got hit by a car and killed. 
God answers prayer. I tell my wife, wow, I needed that. I needed that little bit of faith you had. I, it wasn't my car. It wasn't my car. It wasn't my car. It wasn't her car. And it wasn't my son's car. It wasn't any of our relatives' cars. But if you love your neighbor, you won't shoot his dog. But you may pray that God takes him out. You say, what does this kind of love look like? Well, there's no place in the Bible, and I want you to go there in your Bibles, if you have them with you, and please, electronic Bibles or whatever kind of Bible you got with you today. Hopefully the King James Bible. It's the best Bible. 400 years old, man. That's, that's time-tested. But I stick with time-tested stuff, like marriage. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 is literally the proof text of love in the Bible. Agape love. Agape love. It's the proof text of agape love. You go to any theologian, uh, they've got to go here. They have to go here. This defines love in the most detailed 14, at least 14, maybe more, but 14 different descriptions of love. A little overlap, but 14 different descriptions of love. The word charity in King James is the word for the highest form of love. It's agape love. It helps you understand the difference between phileo love and, and uh, agape love. This is agape. He says here, charity suffereth long. That means it's patient, right? And it's kind. It's kind. Man, I'm weak there. I tell you, I ask God to help me to be sweet. Charity envieth not. Doesn't covet other people's stuff, other people's talents. If some girl gets up here and sings wonderfully, the rest of you girls ought to be thanking God for that. Not saying, oh, she always gets to sing more than I do. You know, stop that. That's, that's this envy thing. Charity vaunteth not itself. There it is. It's not puffed up. In other words, doesn't promote itself or himself or herself. Isn't full of pride. Does not behave itself unseemly. Now that covers a whole raft of dirty jokes, of unseemly man character, looks, oh, just all kinds of things. Wolf whistles. <laughs> Seeketh not her own. Not selfish, not a bit of selfishness. Is not easily provoked. <sighs> not grouchy. Not grouchy. No, I don't want anybody to raise their hand, but you ever been grouchy? I'll tell you what, being grouchy can be bad. Grouchy old men, we earned it. We earned it. Bear, uh, uh, excuse me, I got off my track here. But uh, grouchy, oh, I love that. Think of no evil. That's rejoiceth not in iniquity. Rejoiceth in the truth. Honest, beareth all things, self-sacrificing, believeth all things, no conspiracy mentality, 
hopeth all things. Man, I like to be around people that have a little hope. Amen? If you're a born-again Christian and you serve the God that made everything, we have hope. Hope. In the darkest moments, we have hope. Yeah. Endureth all things. That, that means you're tough. Tough and tender. On one hand, you got tough. On the other hand, you got rough. Tough and rough. But you're tender at the same time. You're optimistic. You're honest. Well, this is, these things here, the Pharisees and lawyers, if the Pharisees and the lawyers had loved God like they thought they did and had loved uh, in the Bible way, they would have agreed with Jesus and with his teachings. They would not have wanted to kill him and embarrass him publicly and discredit him because love cares about others more than it cares about itself. Okay, Jesus was getting ready to take their job. He was getting ready to take their place. He was getting ready to change their whole nation. All right, but if you love God and that was God's plan, you're with the plan. You're with the plan. You don't care about yourself more than everything else. No. Love cares about his neighbor as much as he cares about himself. I'm going to tell you, I need help here. How about you? Love thy neighbor as thyself. I need help here. Self-survival is one of the strongest of our driving emotions. And people will go through almost anything to survive. And Jesus says, care about your neighbor as much as you care about surviving. Yeah, that's big, isn't it? Care about your neighbor more or as much, as much as you care about surviving. Uh, let me ask you some questions. Do you want to be saved and go to heaven? Do you want to, you want to have eternal life? Do you want your sins forgiven? Do you want to avoid hell? Do you want God's blessing on your life? Yes. Everybody say it together. Ready? If you, yeah. Well, then why? If you love your neighbor, you're going to want that for him, right? I mean, it's the least you want for your neighbor is them to be saved, is to get the gospel like you got it, to have his name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That would be the most fundamental thing you could do for your neighbor. Now, I know there's food, clothing, shelter, repair work, and, and, and not shooting their dog. All that's part of the deal. Um, seek those things for your neighbor that you would seek for yourself. Your neighbor's prosperity, your neighbor's well-being, giving the gospel to your neighbors. Be creative about it. Some people have thrown block parties to reach their neighbors. I think maybe you did that. Threw block party and invited all their neighbors over just to get to know them, to have some, like an open house, you know. And have tracks around and just say, you know, you don't have to shove the gospel down their throat the first time you meet them. But at least it's to give them a chance to have, the, have a, a gospel track or to, to know who you were. I'm, you know, I'm a born-again Christian. I live beside you here. I don't want to hurt you. I want to do things. I want to be a good neighbor to you. Some people uh, have sent gifts to their neighbors at Christmas time. At Easter time, they send gifts or ahead of those things, inviting them to Christmas service, to Easter service. We have an Easter, we have a beach Easter service. There's a 17th one out on the beach. Some, sometimes by the, by the count of tracks we pass out, we're anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000, 2,500 people show up. I have people regularly stop me in stores that will say, ah, you're the preacher that preaches on the beach. And I'm like, 
I preach every week. <laughs> but they don't want to, that's a little bit overload, you know. Once a year is enough, so all I can take you. But help them. Maybe some people have helped them by going over and working on their houses. I'm going to tell you, Don Woodard, Don, I got to quit, but Don Woodard, I love that old boy. I miss him. Don Woodard did so much around here. I, I, I was asked to do Don Woodard's funeral, and it was in Indianapolis. Now, nobody wants to go back to Indiana. You know, you sing back home again in Indiana, but you don't mean it. And so Don died, and he always died in the winter. And so they go up there, you know, sub-zero, miserable conditions, gray dome. Have I described it about right? And um, I love Indiana. Don't get me wrong. It's my birth home. So I go up there, and I do the funeral. And, I mean, the place was packed. There were people standing around. Now, I knew why. Because Don Woodard repaired their hot water heaters. He did some plumbing for them. He repaired their sprinkler systems. He fixed their cars. He did their, he did their windows. Anything. The guy worked as a maintenance man his, most of his life. He could do anything. And there was over 125 people packed in that little place. And he had just moved up there, but he had lived up there most of his life. He had been here 17 years, moved back there to die. He, went, he died, and then I did the funeral. I'm walking in there at 125 folks. I thought there would be a little handful of people. I gave him the gospel. Twelve people raised their hands and said they want to get saved. That's what loving your neighbor will do. They didn't get saved when Don was doing all that stuff. They got saved because Don did all that stuff. It brought them to his funeral where they could hear the gospel. Wow, it works. Maybe you send invitations or how about this? Pray for your neighbor. You know, one thing my wife and I have done everywhere we've lived is we found out who our neighbors were and then began to pray for them. We laid that down as a rule. We're going to pray for our neighbor by name, pray for them, save them. Some neighbors are mean to me. You believe that? I've had neighbors mean to me. Found out I was a preacher. Oh, you hypocrite preachers. And so they're mean to me. And I pray the ones, the meaner they are, the higher you get on my list. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Some of the most mean people to me, I got right up at the top of the list. And I don't pray that they get killed either. <laughs> I pray that God would save them and have mercy on them. And, and the gospel would be given to them. So let me ask you this as we stop. The two greatest commandments. How you doing? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy strength, all thy mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. How you doing? Now, pray for your neighbor. Ask your neighbor, go out to eat. I think I mentioned to somebody, they may even be here. I, I don't know everybody here. And I mentioned somebody, if you come to church, I'll, I'll take you out to uh, Ted Montana's for a free meal. I think there's uh, going to be four of them. That was going to cost me 80 bucks. It's worth it. It's worth it. My wife could have less shoes. <laughs> she don't need that many shoes. And then old man said, Amen. oh, you're scared, aren't you? <laughs> you're scared. Folks, why not? 
I went to a waitress many times. I go to waitress, I carry a $100 bill with me. Carry a $100 bill, and I go to a waitress, and I'll say, will you come to church? She'll say, no, I don't go to church. And eventually I'll come, I'll say, well, here's a $100 bill. And if you come to church at the beginning, and you stay through the whole service, at the end of the service, I'll give you this $100 bill. That ain't bad for an hour. Even for uh, unskilled or unskilled, that's not bad for an hour. I mean, listen to me, and that bad. I mean, it's bad, but it ain't that bad. 100 bucks. Out of all the, the dozens and dozens of waitresses, I only had one ever take me up on it. And she came here, listened to the sermon, raised her hand, made some decisions, came up to me afterwards, and I gave her the $100 bill. I said, praise God, I'm glad you came to church. Be creative. Start, start, invite them over to the house for supper. We got members of this, we got, we got people in this church that had told me that they had over 250 people over their house one year. 250 people over their house one year. That's loving your neighbor. It's just part of it. Do whatever God puts in front of you to do with all your might. Father, help us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the word of God. May some people be saved because of today. May the Holy Spirit go where only he can go on this. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.